Bomba won the 200 metres, while Team GB's Keely Hodgkinson won the 800 metres. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Week on 3 with me, Janice Wong, where we look at all the can't-miss interviews from the past week here on Radio 3. In the next half hour, we'll look at what the long-awaited opening of the M-Plus Museum means for the art scene here. We'll also hear about a pilot collection scheme for plastic beverage bottles that has just ended. And a new album from a local folk rock band, The Young Bucks. First though, African Swine Fever. That's back in the news after a wild pig carcass tested positive for the virus last week. It's not harmful to humans, but it will likely have an impact on the wild boar population here. Jim Gould and Ada Wong spoke to Dirk Pfeiffer, Chair Professor of One Health at City University's School of Veterinary Medicine, on our Backchat program. Jim began by asking Professor Pfeiffer what this will mean for the wild boar population at large. I mean, it's difficult to say at this stage. I mean, it's something that, based on experience in other parts of the world, we've actually expected to happen sooner or later, given that the virus is in domestic pigs and in various places. And, and you know, one of the main transmission mechanisms is actually through... Uh, contaminated meat, uh, food waste. So wherever people feed food waste or pigs have access, wild pigs have access to food waste, that's where transmission can can happen because the virus survives so well in that kind of uh, material, which is not that common with infectious diseases, luckily, but this one is a very resilient virus. Because we know that if it gets into a, a domestic herds, uh, it can wipe them all out, can't it? But, it uh, can. I mean, it's got, I mean, although we've, we've seen different presentations these days, uh, um, some of them are very severe, high mortality in other cases where it didn't do that. The tricky thing is really, it is so hard. I, mean, I often say that we compare it to COVID. COVID is, a relative, is another, not a very resilient virus. Whereas this one is a big virus, very strong, it can survive in the environment and in different types of materials. It's much slower, okay? So it takes its time um, until it actually hits. And then it's very difficult to um, eradicate. And it's particularly hard in wild animal populations because we don't know exactly where every pig is, you know? And we don't know the history in terms of context between the... Uh, the individual pigs. Um, so, on oh, this African swine fever, um, is it transmissible to human? Or I've heard no, no, of no, 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 swine no. flu and no, 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 no. no. I mean, it's a good, very good point. I mean, because it's it, it's, it's different, right? Swine fever, African swine fever, right? So, well, there was, was a time when quite often, I mean, not, it wasn't uncommon to see in the newspapers refer, that referred to swine flu. That's not what it is. Not an influenza virus. It's a completely different virus. And it is one where I would kind of said, say in my lifetime, it is not going to change to something that could infect humans. In fact, it's very much restricted, you know, to, to pigs um, and whether they're wild species or the domestic pig species. So that's arguably one benefit. <laughs> it's got lots of negatives, more negatives um, than, than positives. But one, one positive is that it is, is actually very species specific. A big negative is that we haven't got ways of treating uh, or vaccinating. And uh, people around the world have been trying to come up with vaccines 
um, and have failed so far. There's a little bit of hope here and there, but I'm sceptical. One question my friend was pondering the other day, um, how would a wild pig on Hong Kong Island uh, come to be infected with African swine fever? Yeah. Yeah, very interesting, isn't it? Really? I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm certain it's not because of contact with domestic pigs. Okay, um, if that might have been different, if it would have happened, say, in the new territories. No, no. I mean, this, in my view, can only have been access to food waste, meaning people maybe feeding pigs. Okay, with waste from home. Mm. Um, or I don't know why, why, why rubbish bins, etc. Um, uh, so, so that's the only. I mean, at this stage, the only plausible mm. explanation. Mm. Mm. And, and would you expect that uh, that it will now spread among the wild population? You know, like same with human diseases. You see, if population density is high, transmission of diseases um, um, will, it's just so much more effective. And we have lots of wild pigs, and therefore. It is, I'd be surprised if it was to disappear. And, you know, the thing is a bit like with you, you had this just uh, this chat about 21 days <laughs> quarantine. Incubation period is so important, you know. You, the, you get infected, the pig gets infected, and by the time we see something, i.e. a dead pig, the virus has actually already moved to other pigs um, uh, and infected them. So this needs to be monitored. We don't know, but I, I would predict that there will be more pigs that uh, will die from the disease. Um, and we just need to make sure that if it does spread further amongst the pigs on Hong Kong Island, that it doesn't get across to the other parts of Hong Kong. Right. As they are. Um, on, on wild boars... Uh I'm a hiker, a very slow one. Uh, I, I have seen uh, wild boars almost every time. You know, I walk along the Aberdeen yeah. Reservoir and uh, many, many hiking trails. Uh, you know, some are the bigger ones, some, some are like babies. Um, there are now many more wild boars um, on Hong Kong Island, and one has been seen uh, even on the... Um, on the platform of the Wong Chuk Ham MTR, you know, as I have seen photos uh, being shared. Have you noticed that um, there has been, um, you know, many more wild boars in recent yeah, yeah. years? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll put it this way. I, I, I know it's through the media, but they've also been, um, they've produced population, as government has produced population estimates, and the numbers have gone up tremendously. And that is partly because also we feed them. They, they're very smart animals. Pigs are very smart animals. They, they know how to adapt to human habitats by accessing f food waste in particular, rubbish bins, etc. Oh, yes, they do zoom to the rubbish bins, and I have seen them, you know, pushing <laughs> the rubbish bins down yeah. uh, sideways so that they can search what's uh, inside exactly. and grab exactly. the food. So what, what can we do about it? Um, <laughs> This is always a tricky topic, you know. Population control of wild pigs is something I think we probably need to think about. Um, it's not an easy topic. Um, it never is, whether it's uh, the, the, the wild cattle we have or, or the, the wild pigs, but it's something we have to do something about. Now, with respect to African swine fever, I mean, it's, what is important now is that the public reports any dead wild pigs that they see and that they then uh, are being examined for the presence of the virus. So at this stage, just let's keep our eyes open and look out for dead pigs. And definitely don't feed them. And that's Professor Dirk Pfeiffer from City University speaking on Tuesday's Fact Chat.
Yes, we've been waiting for years, and it's finally here. The Hong Kong M Plus Museum of Visual Culture will open to the public on the 12th of November, and entry will be free for all Hong Kong residents in the first year of its operation. But how significant will the new museum be for the local art scene? A question I asked Raymond Fung, a member of the development committee of the West Kowloon Cultural District Authority, on Thursday's Hong Kong Today program. First of all, I think this is a, I think a very good news for the Hong Kong people because we have been waiting for years and years. Even myself, also being one of the members of the West Kowloon Cultural District, you know, feel the same way. Uh, I think this is going to be um, a change in in the Hong Kong people's mindset. That Hong Kong now is uh, really positioned as a uh, Asia World City, especially in, in art development. Now we are talking ourselves as being the Asia Art Hub. So this is going to be a very important milestone for Hong Kong. We already have a fantastic art museum in Chim Sha Cho that just uh, recently completed its expansion and renovation. How is the role of M Plus uh, different from the existing art museum? Oh, in fact, they are very different because, uh, first of all, the one in Chim Sha Cho, uh, first of all, uh, I'm also a member of themselves too. And that museum for Hong Kong is for local artists, but for this um, M is on an international platform, so it's a very different um, in its objective. There's been a, a bit of a concern over the possibility that some art exhibits may fall afoul of the national security law. How can the new museum successfully navigate the tricky terrain? Well, first of all, I think um, uh, we know that um, there are about 6,000 pieces of work in the collections in the M plus and if you're talking about single out some of the pieces there I'm sure um, our director will know how to you know um, carry on or how to position some of this work and see how you know, herself to um, create because um, it's not always having the same piece of work for every show and this time I know that, that you know some of the work may not be there but it doesn't matter because there will be a lot of shows coming up. And what can we expect to see uh, at the mu- museum at the beginning? First of all, I, I myself uh, have to be this because I'm in England by then. But um, after that, I think I will be the first person um, be excited to see Anton, um, Anthony Garmi because uh, he has a very big piece of uh, uh, work over there. And I remember that he's talking about um, thousands of clay figures and that, that would be very exciting to Hong Kong people. And I'm also looking forward to that too. And with uh, tourism devastated by COVID-19, can the M Plus and the Arts Hub in general be financially sustainable in the long term? Uh, that is going to be quite a challenge to us because, uh, first of all, we know we have this, this sort of um, uh, situations, but uh, therefore we're talking about um, having free of charge for Hong Kong people and hoping to see um, progress, you know, in terms of visitors and by then. Maybe, you know, uh, mainland, mainlanders come to Hong Kong after some months and that would, you know, take some time to see how it works. That's Raymond Fung, a member of the Development Committee of the West Kowloon Cultural District Authority, speaking on Hong Kong Today. Now staying with art, a local folk rock band, The Young Bucks, has released a new album called Rookies. 
and singer Chris Ivany told Phil Whelan on Thursday's Morning Brew program more about the new release. Most of our songs really pay homage to where we come from. They and, seem and to. Stories, yeah, and stories from our hometowns. And one unique part of this band is we've got three guys right now fronting it that can front a band. And um, we're all writing. So we're all writing and we're singing. We made a conscious effort, you know, with our first album to try and, you know, something that not a lot of bands do is having multiple people sing sing lead. Yeah. And um, well, so we're really trying to just. Shanty yeah. So we're, yeah, that's right. So we're trying to, like, keep that tradition going and also um, just give an opportunity to showcase uh, the talent that's in the band and, and the creativity that people have. So the the uh, seasons, uh, the song that we're going to hear next, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That 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 song is uh, is just about passing of time. The passing of time. Um, each year, you know, things pass by faster. Your memory gets worse. Sometimes you see people and you think you see somebody going by or things like that, and your mind plays tricks on you. Yeah. Well, um, you've got ten tracks that basically sum up small town life here. Of course, apart from astronaut. Pretty me- much. Apart from yeah. astronaut mechanic, but that's that sounds to me like a little kid's dream something like that is, is it anyway exactly yeah right so we've yeah. got we've got company store four letter words plenty of those hold my line yep. humble pie rookies is yep. the title track seasons secrets and three sheets to the wind now tell me about rookies the title track funnily enough we're not going to play that today but uh, your choice yeah that's okay uh rookies is a is actually in my opinion is the most well-written song on the album it's um it's a really sad song about um a friend who took his own life. Uh, mm. Rob Anderson's friend uh, took his life, and and uh, yeah, he, he's. Uh, it's a really sad song, but it really pays tribute to the young man and young man Adam who took his life, and and um, yeah, it took a long time and a lot of courage for Rob to be able to play and sing that song. So it's a, it's a really special song for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, an extremely well thought out and heartfelt. Uh, album. You said you got some gigs coming up and stuff. You want to tell us what and where? Yeah, sure. Uh, our next gig is September 17th, next Friday, at the Aftermath Bar. And um, we're really excited. I don't know, Phil, if you know the, the boys from the Yardley Brothers Craft Brewery. I know they're beer. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they've actually released a beer. They're releasing a beer for us, for the Young Bucks. Um, it's a it's a bourbon barrel aged imperial brown ale. And uh, it's it's a it's a packs a punch so we've got a brand new beer coming along with our you've album. thought this out haven't you oh it's, it's crazy I, I it's like a dream come true i mean we have our own beer and we're gonna we're gonna release it at uh at, at the aftermath next friday so everyone anyone who's around and wants to come out and try uh it's called old stag and it's a one-off it's probably never going to happen again it was in a took a year in a in a in a barrel in a whiskey barrel in a Wonderful. bourbon barrel to uh, to get this beer ready so we're really excited about that and we've got a great band called the nagging egypts yeah another Tell us about band those guys who are doing i love this those guys, it's these, so good oh my gosh these guys are incredible i mean they're a big band seven or eight members i think i think it's seven yeah um they've got two fiddlers They've got mandolin. They've got squeeze box. They've got, they play a whole plethora of, of instruments, and and they're really really talented and a really really fun band, and they match up perfectly with our folk style. So we're looking forward to doing a lot of gigs with those guys in the future. So they'll be there with us as a supporting act on. Uh, on the 17th at the Aftermath. Well, the, the, the easiest yeah. way, if you're listening and you want to find out, is just ping these guys on Facebook. They're called the Young Bucks. Yes, I'm, please I'm, do. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the mandolin and the violin. They are the salt and pepper to this kind of ensemble. Uh, you're the mandolin player, right? 
I am. Uh, I don't call myself a mandolin player, though, because I'm basically still learning. Fair enough. Exactly. So I, I've, been, I've been a guitar player all my life. But yeah. we got two other very talented guitar players in our band. So uh, about, a, I guess it was two years ago almost, I, I decided to pick up a mandolin and just start you know, learning it song by song. So that's basically what we've been How's doing. How's it gone? Because this is a real key instrument. I can hear it. It's just there in all the tracks we've heard. And it really, as I say, along with the violin, it's the business in this kind of stuff. Yeah, well, basically, I'm just hanging on, to be honest, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the recording sounds great. And yeah, the, the, it's coming along, but it, it's a long process. Like, you know, learning a new instrument and it takes mm. a lot of time so i'm just picking away at it you know i got a few people that helped me out along the way but the real the real big kicker for us and and mr sean softly who plays the fiddle is absolutely he's no he's a master fiddler it's he's, he's an he's an incredible musician and he, he brought so much uh, to the band and i can't i can't get off here without mentioning our drummer paul mcclain who when he joined our band three years ago he really took us to the next level he I took us from an acoustic night type band to a band that can hold down a bar on a Saturday night. I can't wait to send a bunch of guys with very short hair and black jackets round to your pad to kidnap you and bring you to a very big radio studio. <laughs> yes, <laughs> any, mean, any, when, when's, that, when's that ever going to happen again? Goodness me. Anyway, why don't you introduce yeah. our last track? Uh, the last track is Seasons, uh, written by Rob Anderson. And um, yeah, so again, this song is about the passing of time. That's Chris Ivany from the Young Bucks speaking on Morning Brew. With the waste charging scheme for households here finally passed last month, it's time to talk more about recycling. Katie Mock from the environmental group Drink Without Waste first told Marcy Trent Long on this week's Trash Talk how they came up with the pilot neighborhood bottle reward scheme, which gives cash for plastic bottles collected for recycling. So like back then, one year ago, we were doing different volunteer schemes. So like our VM program or bin placement, that's uh, potentially targeting consumers, groups or malls. And then we realized that there is already an existing channels for other recyclables and that network is highly effective. So there are over 300 active recycling companies in Hong Kong, plus the 400,000 agents, including cleaners, domestic workers and other different like collectors. So every month they are collecting around 90% uh, recovery rates of the waste papers and 80% of metal cans. So back then we were thinking about why don't we utilize this existing network with an aim to develop a cost-effective networks as well as to minimize the impacts in environmental footprint because we can utilize this one existing and then um, to create synergy in also recovering the bottles. And then do you think that this has been an effective scheme for collecting plastic beverage bottles? Yeah. Um, so in the summer, we're actually collecting like over 
170 tons collectively by our 52 recyclers uh, monthly. That's around 5% of the recovery rates of plastic bottles, Hong Kong territory-wide, given there's 4.9 million pieces disposed in the landfill every day. <laughs> so we also discover a highly effective bulk collection operation model. That's the pop-up I mentioned earlier that's operating in the housing estates. That's usually operates next to or inside a refuse collection points. So that creates a synergy in managing waste as well as the recycling of the materials. Because it's located in the housing estates, it also provides a good amount of population of the residents. And then they also offer a more flexible, available space when compared to like the commercial recycling shops at the busy streets. Hmm. And what about the community green stations? How do they fit in with all this? The community green stations is actually usually located in a more remote like area. It's not really accessible. Like if the residents in the housing estate uh, want to do the recycling. But the green community network, they provide collection of other recyclables, like recovery of other recyclables. So eight types of materials, and that's great. If people want to do recycling, like just in their housing estates, so our scheme provided and compensates the convenience of the green community network. So providing more um, accessible locations. So that's, uh, yeah. Got it. So then a combination of you're giving more accessible locations and you're giving money means that you're getting a much better turnout for the plastic beverage bottles that are being returned. Yeah, that's our original plan as well. So we hope to increase the rates as well as the quality by providing incentives. Okay, so the program's really ended already, and so it was just a pilot program. What do you what do you think? What's supposed to happen next then? Yep. So we are wrapping up the program with a consultancy study. So previously, I mentioned we discovered that the successful model of a MRF or like the recycling pop up. That uh, perhaps in the consultancy study, we would like to discover and review the actual dimensions or criteria that needs to fulfill when we want to set up a set of more pop-ups around Hong Kong, like basically in every neighborhood. If we were to promote pop-up in every neighborhood, what do we need to find out? Like the space, uh, infrastructures, etc. And because we hope to suggest to the governments that to utilize the existing facilities, such as the refuse collection points, housing estates, car parks, that's to provide a convenient return and material separation points for the residents and consumers. And it could also act as a intermediate consolidation points for green egg community or other uh, recycling initiatives. Okay, got it. Well, it's a pretty exciting initiative for sure. And hopefully on the next round, though, you'd need to get some more funding from the government. Is that right? Yeah, so we are reaching out to both governments and private sectors 
to see the opportunities in continuing the scheme. It's all about the sustainability of, of the scheme. That's Katie Mock from Drink Without Waste speaking on Trash Talk. Finally, to close this week on three, I'd leave you with a bit of Steve James and his afternoon drive, where he celebrated the music of the legendary singer Buddy Holly on Tuesday, on what would have been his 85th birthday. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. And we're celebrating the fact that born this day, 1936, Buddy Holly, singer, songwriter, member of the Crickets. That'll be the day it doesn't matter anymore. Plus over 15 other top 40 singles. You know I'm a big fan. They influenced the Beatles, the Stones and many, many more. Famously died in that plane crash on the 3rd of February, 1959, with the big bopper Richie Valens were also killed on the day that music died. We are celebrating the music of Buddy Holly. A couple of tunes you will know performed this time round. It's Buddy Holly and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra.
Sick of trying. 